Good morning. If you have your Bible next to you, will you turn to 1 Samuel 25? 1 Samuel 25. We'll get there momentarily. The story we're going to look at this morning is an exciting one. It involves passion, danger, irony, and intrigue. And I know the, I think most of the movie theaters opened up this week here in central Ohio. Who needs the movie theater when you can get all of this free of charge from the word of God? Before we dig in a little bit, let me introduce you to the three main characters that we're going to talk about this morning. The hero in our story this morning is a young man named David. And by this point in 1 Samuel 25, David has already defeated the, the giant named Goliath. He has already received his anointing from Samuel as the second king of Israel. He is currently living in the wilderness so that he can avoid the wrath of the current king, Saul. Saul was extremely jealous of David, especially after he defeated Goliath to the point that he wanted David dead. David lived in some of the most rugged places in Israel so that Saul and his army would have trouble tracking him down. Kind of like what the Taliban and Al-Qaeda did for so many years in Afghanistan to avoid the coalition forces. David wasn't alone in these rugged regions. He began with a band of 400 fighting men whom he trained in the cave of Abdullam. By this point, that number had grown to 600. What was once just a bunch of malcontents had become a disciplined fighting force under David's leadership. David and his men were in the wilderness of Paran, uh, which was located below the Dead Sea, just above Sinai in southern Israel. The area was in no man's land to the point that there was no law enforcement of any kind there. David and his men kind of assumed that role in this land of Paran. Now, David and his men, what they would do is they would help local farmers protect their herds and flocks from thieves as well as from wild beasts. So their services were needed and their services were very much appreciated. Now the custom at that time was that peacekeepers did not demand payment for their services. Businesses would voluntarily offer compensation to show their gratitude. And if you're thinking like me, the, the, the best modern day comparison that we probably have is a waitress in a restaurant. Unless you're in a group of six or more at a nice restaurant, the gratuity you leave is typically voluntary. It's a way to show appreciation for the service that a waitress or a waiter provides, you and I leave a tip. And if they do a great job, you probably leave more than if they do a mediocre job. I remember as a kid, I must have been in college, uh, Christian college or, or in high school. Um, I remember going to a restaurant up in Cleveland where I grew up uh, called Cooker. And I think it was a national chain. I don't know if you had any of those here in Columbus, but uh, we went to this Cooker restaurant in Independence, Ohio. My mom, my aunts, my sister, after church one Sunday, they absolutely loved this restaurant. And we go in and uh, it just was not a good day. Um, I don't know what kind of day our server, a gentleman was having, but he was rude. He was arrogant. He was uh, non-existent. And uh, the food wasn't very good either. And, and, and I'll never forget this story. You have bad service regularly or occasionally, but I'll never forget it because my mom put a penny tip on the, the table, and I didn't know what that meant. And, and I learned that day that you leave a penny tip when you get really, really, really bad service. And you do that, if you leave no tip, then the server just thinks that you forgot to tip, which occasionally happens as well. You leave the penny to give that, let them know we thought about it, 
and this is what we think you deserve. It was brutal. And I'll never forget this story because after having this bad service with an arrogant server and bad food, we're walking out to our car and this gentleman chases down our family to return the penny tip to my mom. Well, that's a story you'll never forget. Now, we've had amazing dining experiences as well. I remember going to a Red Robin here in Columbus where we had an incredible server, and she was so good. Uh, not, you know, I, I, I found the manager on our way out and felt compelled to let him know. I said, you know, so many people complain about bad service. I want you to know that girl right there did an incredible job, and he made a point to tell us that he gets a lot of compliments on this server. And believe it or not, we had incredible service at a Skyline Chili here in Columbus. It was my first month in Columbus as a youth minister, and one of my youth ministry friends took me to this Skyline Chili right down here on Broad Street. And uh, we had a girl, I, I can remember her name because it was so unique. Her name was Snapper. And so this is back 17 years ago. And uh, I think we like Snapper because she gave us our four ways or five way chilies on what they called ambassador plates, which meant there was just more noodles, more chili and more cheese. She hooked us up, but she was incredible. And we left both of those young ladies at the Red Robin and Skyline Chili, a larger tip than normal because of their excellent service. Well, the Bible makes it pretty clear that David and his men also did a great job. None of the herds or flocks were harmed. None of them were taken by thieves. And, and so for someone not to compensate David and his men for their outstanding service would have been like me not tipping one of those servers at Red Robin or at Skyline Chili. And the big day for David and his men would almost always happen when a businessman would shear his sheep. A waitress gently reminds you of the service she provides when she leaves you the receipt that has a blank on it for you to leave the gratuity. At sheep shearing time, David and his men would gently remind the area businessmen of the security that they had provided. So that's our first character. The hero in this story is David. Our second character in the story is really a character, and his name is Nabal, N-A-B-A-L, which literally translates fool. The word Nabal was used in Proverbs and in other wisdom literature to describe rude, ignorant, dishonest, belligerent, and stupid people. Nabal may have been this dude's real name. It may have been his nickname. It may have been what people called him behind his back. We're not sure. Nabal is in Carmel, which was a trading center where businessmen would get together to buy and sell. Nabal, he may be condescending and shrewd, but he's still popular because he's got money. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 2. It says, a certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep while he was shearing in which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. So that's character number two, talking about Nabal. The final character in our story is Nabal's wife, Abigail. Abigail resides in Maon, which is a couple miles south of where Nabal is doing business in Carmel. Abigail's described as beautiful and intelligent. And you might be asking, how does a beautiful, intelligent woman like Abigail end up with a stupid fool like Nabal? Well, in those days, 
A marriage was a business arrangement between fathers, not a culmination of love as it is in our society today. Now, believe it or not, most of the time, these marriages would actually work out. Fathers who loved their daughters would go to great lengths to make sure that their daughter was paired up with someone who would provide great care for his daughter. And usually, the love between the man and the woman would grow almost instantly. Abigail came from a good family, but apparently her dad was fooled. He failed to see the major character flaws in this guy, Nabal. Look at 1 Samuel 25, verse 4. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my young men since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. A couple things that, that might be easy to overlook as you read this passage. Number one, notice that David didn't send all 600 men to Nabal. Uh, he didn't send, he would have put some heat on him if he would have sent him. He didn't do that. He sent 10 young men just simply to remind Nabal of the services that he and his men had provided. Notice the humility with which David approached this whole thing. Remember, this dude has already been anointed as Israel's second king, but you don't see that by the way David approached, or David's men, I should say, approached Nabal. Finally, notice that he didn't ask for a specific amount. He asks Nabal to give whatever he can find for them. The message puts that verse this way. Give whatever your heart tells you to. Author Chuck Swindoll, who's written this book that I'm working through to, to, to build this series, jokes about this. He says, we don't get correspondence like that from the electric company. He says, can you imagine? Dear Mr. Cooper, peace be upon your home and to your family. You have enjoyed electricity in your home these many weeks. Since we have expenses we must pay, do you think you might be able to help us with those? Please return the enclosed envelope with anything you care to send. Does the electric company operate like that? Not exactly. Their letters sound a little bit more like this. Mr. Cooper, this is your bill. Pay it by this date or we're going to cut off your power. Thank you very much. I knew a kid in college. I went to a college with a kid. His name was Keith that uh, didn't make his car payment for a couple of months. He was grossly irresponsible with his money. Even the college loan money that was supposed to be used for his car payment and for his college tuition, he decided to use that money, hundreds and thousands of dollars he used to buy CDs and video games and a late night pizza almost every night. You know what the bank did with Keith and his situation? I'm not making this up. They came to Kentucky Christian College. They hooked his car to a tow truck and they drove away. And I will never forget that young man trying to chase down the tow truck as his car was towed away across the Kentucky Christian College campus. Shame on me for laughing, but it was absolutely hysterical. David didn't operate like that. David basically said, send whatever you think is fair and we'll be grateful. It was a pretty humble approach for a guy that would carry the title of king in the near future. Look at Nabal's response in verse 10. 
Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to the men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. Nabal probably didn't know that David had been picked to be Israel's next king, but he knew who David was. His initial question, who is this David and who is this son of Jesse, was a calculated slap in the face. Nabal knew full well who David was. He and his men were a critical part of his successful business. Nabal's next phrase in verse 10, where he says, many servants are breaking away from their masters these days, was a cheap shot as well. Nabal was insulting David for not being loyal to King Saul. Notice that David's men don't start yelling. They don't start cutting off heads and beating guys up. They simply leave. Although scripture doesn't specifically say it, I've got to believe that Nabal just kept doing business in Carmel. I bet the conflict with 10 of David's men had little impact on such a shrewd man. I imagine he just continued on with business as usual. Nabal may have continued with business as usual, but David didn't. Look at verse 13. David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords and David put on his about 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. Years later, David would turn into this incredible mature man of God, but he wasn't there yet. He was still rough around the edges. He was still impulsive. He was very polite and proper when he sent his 10 men for the initial meeting with Nabal, but this time there would be no polite and proper. He took 400 armed men with him to get his payment from Nabal. An unnamed servant overheard all of Nabal's arrogant remarks. And you'll notice that this unnamed servant didn't try and talk sense into Nabal, the guy that is affectionately nicknamed Fool. Instead, he goes to the intelligent person with his concerns. He goes directly to Nabal's wife, Abigail. Look at verse 14. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us all the time. We were herding our sheep near them. Verse 17, now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Isn't it interesting how candid this servant is in his message to Abigail? Maybe it shows the, how little respect even the servants had for this guy, Nabal. Maybe it just communicates the sense of urgency with which this servant spoke. We don't know for sure. Really quick tangent here. Uh, please remember, and I know you know this, but please remember that people are watching you. Like the children of this church are watching you. I've been playing basketball uh, with some of the, the youth from, I mean, the kids that I play basketball with are, are watching us. Our grandkids, not my grandkids, your grandkids are watching you. The bagger at Kroger is watching you. The guy that is gonna prepare your carryout meal this afternoon at Subway or McDonald's is watching you. And I would tell you that the devil wants us to lose sight of that so that we, like Nabal, lose the respect of this world. And when we, as Christians, lose credibility, that's not good. 
But it's not good because Jesus loses credibility as well. So when confrontation arises or adversity hits, which they will, make it your mission to respond with the patience of David's messengers and not the foolishness and frustration and arrogance of Nabal. I think the worst thing that the servant says about Nabal is in that last phrase in verse 17 where he says, he is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. How could a guy be so shrewd and foolish and stupid? Well, the answer is in that verse 17 because he wouldn't listen to anyone who would try and talk to him. I don't know if there's a more dangerous statement that can be said about an individual. If you're a Christian, it is critical that you and I never get to a point that you stop listening to godly counsel. God puts people in our lives to encourage us and comfort us and kick us in the pants spiritually. Like it is a dangerous, dangerous day when we pull a navel and are so arrogant that we won't be open up to that godly counsel. There's an interesting phrase in verse 16 of 1 Samuel 25. There it says that David and his men were a wall around us. And as a sports guy, I immediately thought about a, an offensive line in football. A good offensive line is a wall around the quarterback or maybe for the running backs. And do you know what smart quarterbacks and smart running backs do when an offensive line provides a wall that allows them to be successful? Like they reward him. I remember 25 years ago, Miami Dolphin quarterback Dan Marino used to do TV commercials where he talked about how he bought isotoner gloves for his offensive line. I remember reading that legendary Hall of Fame running backs, Barry Sanders and Eric Dickerson would buy Rolex watches for their offensive line. Not too long ago, an NFL quarterback was selected to the Pro Bowl in Honolulu, Hawaii, and he flew his entire offensive line to the event when someone provides a wall, you should compensate them. Nabal got great protection. His sales were through the roof, yet he totally forgot about the guys that got him to that point. Look at verse 18. Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sayas, which are bushels of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisin and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Abel, Abigail immediately put a meal together big enough for an army, like literally. And notice that like the servant, Abigail doesn't talk to her husband Nabal about the situation. This guy wouldn't even listen to his own wife. Look at verse 20. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert, so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, ever be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belongs to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, my Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is fool and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Verse 26. 
Now, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my master, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant. Abigail knew that her only chance to spare Nabal's life was to talk to David. She knew that David was the Lord's anointed. She knew he was going to be the next king of Israel. Abigail asks David to behave accordingly. She begs David not to stain his reputation before he takes the throne. Look at David's response in verses 32 through 34. David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. Until this point, there's a lot of similarities between David and Nabal. We see two bullheaded men that are about to clash over basically what was a, a common courtesy. And the difference here is that David listens to the counsel that Abigail provides. And not only does he listen to Abigail, but he thanks her for her good judgment as well. Let me ask you this morning, how do you respond to counsel, godly counsel, from people that care about you and your family? When's the last time you thanked someone for, you, for what they've done for you spiritually? Like pick up the phone, write a card, send an email. I wanna encourage you to show gratitude to those that have helped keep you on the narrow road that leads to life. If you're reading this story for the first time, you're probably thinking, okay, Coop, it's over. Everybody lives happily ever after, end of story. But not so fast, my friend. Let's look at 1 Samuel 25, verse 36. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing until daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. If you like fairy tale endings, you're gonna like this one. Look at verses 39 through 42. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. 
his servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, here is your maidservant ready to serve you and wash the feet of my master's servants. Verse 42, Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five maids, went with David's messengers and became his wife. David and Abigail marry just days. It may have only been hours after Nabal's death. Experts today say that the grieving process with the death of a spouse is usually between three and five years, but David and Abigail did not delay. Now remember that marriage then was motivated more by honor and duty than by love. So while it may be uncommon to marry someone else hours later today, it probably wasn't uncommon maybe back then. But that's your Disney World ending here this morning. So what do we take from this fairy tale as we wrap up quickly. Number one is this, uh, we were reminded that rash reactions never pay off. David's quick-tempered reaction nearly led to a murder. Imagine what it might have done to David's legacy and to the nation of Israel if he had committed a brutal murder prior to taking office. Uh, If you're unsure how to act or react, I wanna encourage you to slow down, be patient, open up the word of God and smother the situation in prayer. And the second take home, it's not profound. None of my preaching is, but the second take home may simply be to listen. Like we need to be open to what God's word says through his people, through his word and through prayer. The number one reason that Nabal was a fool was because he wouldn't listen to anyone. No one could talk to this guy. And that's what started all of his troubles. Let's live our lives in such a way that no one could say the same thing about us. Listen to those that love you. And most importantly, listen to God.